Today is Yom HaShoah, and we remember the six million. And amongst those six million, it's important that we remember the heroes. And there were two types of heroes. There was the hero who fought the Germans, fought back physically. And then there were the heroes who resisted spiritually. Amongst the heroes who fought back, one of the most powerful examples is Abba Kovner. Abba Kovner attempted to lead a rebellion in the Vilna ghetto, attacking Germans, smuggling Jews out, smuggling arms in. And in a sense, he prefaced the Warsaw ghetto, where there was a mass uprising. Abakovna's uprising did not happen on a mass level. And when the ghetto fell, he and some of his fellow fighters escaped into the forest, where he fought with the partisans against the Germans. After the war, he came up with an incredible scheme, which was to take vengeance upon the Germans, to bring justice against them. The plot to, the original plot to poison the water system in German cities never came about, but they did bring about the poisoning of the bakery for the camp that was holding thousands of SS officer prisoners. And according to his account in his powerful book, The Avengers, 3,000 SS officers were killed. After that, he made his way to Palestine, to what is today Israel, and he fought in the Israeli War of Independence. So here you have a figure who fought in the ghetto, fought in the forest, fought to bring justice after the war, and then fought in the Israel War of Independence. He also went on to become one of the leading poets of Israel and won the Israel Prize for Literature in 1970. We remember Abba Kovner, and I highly suggest his book, The Avengers, one of the best books about the Holocaust. On the other side, we have the spiritual heroism. And here we turn to the Blue Rebbe, whose stories were written down by Yaffa Eliach in Hasidic Tales of the Holocaust. And the Blue Rebbe tells a powerful story. He tells about how in the labor camp, there was a group of Jews who would wake up 20 minutes early to pray. Now, you have to understand that the labor camps were back-breaking labor from sunrise to sundown, being marched kilometers to get there, living on meager rations. And after they would march back, after a long day of work, they would fall into their bunks exhausted, only to have to wake up the next morning. But this group did wake up. They woke, woke up early and they prayed. And one morning, one of the people there approached the Blue Rebbe. And he said, Rebbe, we say every morning this blessing, blessed are you, Lord our God, who has not made me a slave. And he asked the Rebbe, should we be saying this blessing? We are slaves. What is the significance of saying it? So the Rebbe said, you know what? 
you have a very good point. Let me think about it. The next day, as they were gathering in the dark for services before dawn, before being marched out, the Rebbe approached him and he said, I thought about your question. And he said, the very fact that we can get up 20 minutes before having to go off to our march, to go to labor, the fact that we can do this shows that we are not slaves. For while the Nazis might have enslaved our bodies, they cannot enslave our souls. And so these are the stories of spiritual heroes, of spiritual rebellion. There's a story also told by the Blue Rebbe of Schulweis. Schulweis was a capo. The capos were Jews who were recruited by the Nazis to serve as policemen. Some of them were particularly brutal, even killing Jews to save their own skin. And others were doing the Nazis' bidding. So one Yom Kippur, they approached Schulweis and they said, Yom Kippur is coming up. And they asked him whether he could find work for them that would not entitle, that would not uh, involve real work. And so Schulweis arranged that on that day, the Rebbe with some of the other Jews would be cleaning the Nazis' house. The Nazis weren't dumb. And in fact, they knew when Yom Kippur was because their war against the Jews was a war against Judaism as well. And they would often be particularly cruel on the holidays. And so when he found them cleaning the house on Yom Kippur, he got furious and he says, I will show you. A couple of minutes later, they wheeled in a cart piled up with delicious food. And remember, these are people living on starvation rations. And he brought in the cart and he said, eat. On Yom Kippur, I want you to have a feast. And they refused. And the Nazi got furious. His face turned red. He took out his revolver. He said, eat, dirty Jews. And they refused. And he called over Shulweis. He said, Shulweis, you're a Jew. Show these Jews how you eat on Yom Kippur. Of course, expecting Shulweis to easily do his bidding, as he always did. And Shulweis said, no. The Nazi officer said, what do you mean no? You're not religious. You don't care. Eat. And Schulweiss refused again, and the Nazi took out his revolver and shot Schulweiss the capo. So the hated Schulweiss, the Blue Rebbe said, went to become the holy Schulweiss. In that moment of decision in his life, he became a hero. Now, there are stories where the non-Jews came to recognize and even respect the Jews' hero, spiritual heroism. In the Goering factory, one day, the guards were not around. 
And the Jews remembered it was Simchat Torah. So they started singing the Simchat Torah song, Mi Pikel. And as they were singing and started to dance, the factory owner walked in. And he asked them, what do these words mean? Of course, the Jews were terrorized and thought, this is our end. We're done. So they told him. They said, the words mean no one is like God. No one is blessed like Moshe ben Amram. There is no greatness like the Torah and no one sees it like Israel. He asked the Jew, Friedson, do you really believe this? And he said to him, yes, I believe it. And the German shook his head and he muttered, unbelievable. I'm afraid the Fuhrer will never succeed with you people. Similar story. Story of a Jew who made a promise not to miss a day in the camps of putting on tefillin. And one night, there was a curfew and the punishment of death not to go out of the barracks. So he had a dilemma here. He wanted to go put on tefillin, but they were in the bunk next door. So he risked his life, snuck out, and went to put on his tefillin. On the way back, he was caught by one of the Polish guards. And the guards asked him, why did you risk your life? You knew there was a curfew. What am I going to do? And the Jew told him. He told him he'd gone to put on tefillin, the black prayer boxes that we put on in order to pray. And he said, show me the marks on your arm. He showed him and proved that this was true. So the pole brought him inside to the barracks and he said to everyone, all of you here who are gathered are lowly and despicable dogs. I would have never believed that there was one person left among you who would be willing to die for his faith. But I have found him. And from this day on, he is allowed to pray openly. And whoever dares stop him praying will be risking his life. This outlook of spiritual heroism was summed up by the Klausenberger Rebbe, who also showed incredible heroism from self-helping others in the camps. And he said, as a Nazi knocked him down and was beating him, the Nazi asked him, are you still the chosen people? And he answered them, as long as we are not the oppressors, not the torturers, we are the chosen people. And this is how we won with the power of the Spirit. There's a well-known psychologist, Viktor Frankl, who wrote a book, Man's Search for Meaning. And Viktor Frankl framed it this way. He said many people tried to ask what was going on. How could such a thing happen? How could God allow this to happen? How do we understand the horrors of the Holocaust? And this was in the camps. Viktor Frankl was 
deported. And he said the only way he survived was by changing the paradigm and asking not what do we expect from life, he said, because then you'll fall short because life was giving them a raw deal. But he said the only way we survived was by asking what life expects from us. And responding to that challenge, living up to it. And in fact, Viktor Frankl relates how the meager rations that they ate were barely enough to su support one human being. Yet he says what kept him alive was when he found someone who was weak, who was on the edge, he shared his morsel with them. And he said there are people who ate the full morsel of bread, but they just gave up because there was no meaning or purpose in their life. But Viktor Frankl says how he found his purpose and his meaning by helping others. And that's what got him through. That's what gave him the strength. His spiritual heroism is, in fact, what saved him. I'd like to end with another chapter of spiritual heroism, which were the non-Jews who helped save Jews and put their lives in danger in the process. A very well-known one is Sukihari, the Japanese consul of Kavno, who wrote visas for Jews, up to 6,000. He had Jews helping him write out the documents and he would sign them. When the Japanese told him to stop, he didn't listen. And finally, they discovered what he had done. They sent someone from Japan, removed him from his position, and he lived in poverty for many years, having been spurned by the Japanese government for what he did. I have a friend who, uh, his father I knew, used to come to the synagogue, and the paupers were hidden in Holland in an attic of a barn by a non-Jewish family. Had they been discovered, the entire family would have been killed, executed by the Nazis. His father, at 12 years old, spent two years in an attic, not seeing the light of day. They would go out at night once in a while. That was the best they could do. And this family put their lives in danger. And there are countless such stories. There are 26,000 trees planted in Yad Vashem in memories of the righteous amongst the nations who risked their lives in order to save Jews. So I'd like to finish with the story that became famous in the movie Defiance of the Bielski brothers. The Bielski brothers, Tuvia and Zeus, had a disagreement. T Tuvia started to find Jews hiding in the forest his plan with his brothers was to join the resistance and fight against the Nazis. But when Tuvia found Jews who he could help, he couldn't walk away from them. And he gathered them together, helped them hide, helped them survive. Zeus felt that they had to follow their original plan to fight the war, 
to take it to the Germans fighting with the Russian partisans. And so the brothers parted ways. And two of you wound it gathering up hundreds of Jews who he helped survive in the forest. And Zeus went off to fight with the Russian partisans. And in the end, when the Jews are fleeing, because they heard the Nazis knew where their hiding place was, it was only with the intervention of Zeus and his physical power that was able to save the Jews. And so we see that both of these heroism, types of heroism, the physical resistance, the fighting back against the Nazis, even though they knew that they could never ultimately win, and the spiritual heroism, putting oneself in danger to help others, standing up against the Nazi cruelty and affirming Jewish life, even at the risk of death. These were also the heroes from the Holocaust that we must remember.